All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Melissa Ambrosini is joining the show. She is a three-time guest of this show, multiple best-selling author, and host of the number one podcast, The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Her latest project, which is out now, revolves around putting the condition of comparionitis, hope I said that right, that's a that's a mouthful for sure, under the it's, microscope. It's, um, <laughs> it's actually comparisonitis. Comparisonitis, there we go. Under the microscope, unpacking the symptoms and offering practical tips you can start using immediately to break the cycle of comparison, free up mental bandwidth, and live life on your own terms. I mean, that sounds fantastic. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. So am I. Every time we chat, I just leave with such a huge smile on my face. There's just such such a beautiful energy every time uh, we chat. So I am just as excited. And I'd love to start off like I have the other two times and and like every other guest gets just to see, you know, where you're at right now and understand, you know, who is Melissa as we sit here today? (laughs) Melissa is an always evolving soul. And as we record this, uh, I am pregnant with my first child, which is so exciting. Amazing. And my book, Comparisonitis, which is actually my third physical book, my fourth book in total. I did an Audible original called Purposeful that came out earlier this year as well. But this is my third physical book and it's such an important topic that needs to be spoken about and highlighted right now. And that is out right now. And I'm so excited for that. And yeah, there's just, you know, so many beautiful things happening right now in my world. And I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're giving birth uh, physically, but, it, you know, metaphorically speaking as well to so many amazing things. I mean, I can't even believe four, you know, we were just chatting a minute ago. I'm, I mean, I'm working on my first book, but four books and an Audible um, original earlier in the year. I mean... What's what's the process for you to be able to keep your mind clear and focused to put out that, you know, those are big projects. I totally understand at this point now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Writing a book is not for the faint-hearted. It's dedication. It's work. It's time. It's energy. It's commitment. It's about taking radical responsibility. It's a big job. And this is how I work. I am in Ayurveda. I'm a pitter in human design. I'm a generator. And those combinations kind of create this very driven, go-getting, organized being that I am. So I can just sit down and I just do it. I just do it. I just get in there and I do it. And that's such a strength of mine. And uh, I'm I'm very grateful for that quality because I just sit down and I just once I've committed to something and I've set my mind to something, I just do it. It's just part of who I am. You know, my husband he always says to me, "I admire how you just get things done. Like you just get in there, you get your hands dirty, and then you you're done. You're like you walk away, and that's how I approach 
writing books. I just commit, you know, I, I've, I'm like, give me a deadline. If I don't have a deadline, then um, I kind of might just let it linger on for sure. a couple of years. You're human. For, yeah. For <laughs> me, I'm like, give me a deadline from my publisher. And then I just work my way, I work back from that. I'm like, okay, if I've got to hand it in on this date, I've got to have the draft done by this date. And then I just do it and put in the time every day and show up. For for this latest book, had, did anything change versus some of the, your other books or I mean the audio is is probably a little bit different given just the format but I don't think I've ever asked you for your other books like are you writing in the morning are you blocking time off during the day like what's just practically speaking what's what works for you well each book has been different so with mastering your mean girl that was my first book my husband and I actually went away for six weeks Excuse okay. me, my husband and I went away for six weeks. So he's a musician. So we locked ourselves away um, in the country and he wrote an entire album and I wrote Mastering Your Mean Girl. And we set it up so that we didn't have any other work commitments and we created so much white space in our life. And it was really beautiful. It was such a beautiful time together. And I look back and I just think, oh, that was so beautiful creating that. This was 2014 or 2000 I think yeah 2014 so yeah we just it was so beautiful uh we would get up and we would do our morning practice together and watch the sunrise together and then he would go down one end of the house that we were staying in and I was down the other end and didn't see each other until lunchtime when we'd make some lunch together and sit in the sun and eat lunch and then over lunch I would read to him what I wrote that day and he would give me feedback and uh, any little tips and things like that. And then I would go back and make any adjustments to what I had written that day um, based on his feedback. Wow. And then we would come together again in the evening and he would share some of the music that he'd been working on and we would meditate and have dinner and have an early night together and sit by the fire. It was really beautiful. So we did that for six weeks, although I had written the entire first draft in the first two weeks. So I'd finished the first two, the first draft, complete first draft in the first two weeks. That's what happens when you do create the space. Like I wasn't checking my phone. I wasn't doing any other work. Um, I had so much space in my day to just work on the book. It was really beautiful and I enjoyed it so much. And then with Open Wide, which was my second book, we couldn't go away because we have, um, I have a 15 year old stepson. So Nick's son. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't go away at that time. So what we did instead was we stayed in our home and I sat down every day. I'm pretty sure it was like maybe nine till 12 or maybe eight till 12. And I locked myself in the bedroom and, uh, actually my, Leo's room, so not my room where, where there's a stand-up desk. So I locked myself in there. And the only reason I was ever allowed to, I ever allowed myself to leave was to go to the bathroom or get more water. And so okay. I just locked myself in there and I did that book in a month. Wow. And and yeah, that was that was really an amazing experience. And then for Purposeful, which was my Audible original, I wrote that again the same way. So I, I didn't go away. I just sat down every morning and, you know, 
I think it was about three hours and I just didn't get up. Like I just, I made myself sit there and do it. And then same with comparisonitis. I did the same thing. I had a lot more time with comparisonitis because I, I just needed it with this one because there was so much research mm-hmm. that had to go into this book. So again, I sat down every day from like eight to 12 or, or something like that. Yeah. And just did the work. But this, you know, this book really looks at what comparison culture is doing to us mentally. So our mental health, how it's affecting us, you know, how it's affecting our mental health, um, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and even suicide. You know, that this toxic compulsion to compare is really detrimental to our mental health. And so I had to do a fair bit of research. So I needed a bit more time for this one. But yeah, that's kind of my process. That's been my process for the last four books. And who knows, it might change for the next one. But that's how I work. You know, I know some people, I have a friend who's been writing a book for like three years and I'm like, I just, that (sighs) would like drive me crazy. I just want to get in there and get my hands dirty and get it done and then be done with it, you know? Totally. Well, I appreciate you sharing the details. And it, it's it's kind of the same principle, at least I try to use for, you know, sharing a lot of the mental fitness practices that guests leave. It's just to show, it's not to say, hey, this is the prescription or this is the recipe to get this done. It's just the, this is a way that works for you. And, you know, it'll probably work for someone else and, and maybe not for, for another, but at least it gives people... Um, options, right? To, to hear some of the different ways that are working uh, for people that are, are doing really well in this space when it comes to publishing these books. So it's amazing. Congrats again for all the, uh, the effort and energy into this one. I obviously have to ask, I mean, how did it come up? <laughs> Other than the fact that we live in this massive comparison type society, which I mean, I feel like everyone on the planet can relate to in some capacity. Mm. Like with all of my books, I, I really write them for myself. Okay. And when with Mastering Your Mean Girl, I, which is all about that toxic negative voice inside your head that says you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you'll never get out of debt, you'll never meet the guy, who do you think you are, you can't write a book, that voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I realized that I had a really loud inner mean girl and then I realized, well, if I've got a really loud inner mean girl, surely other people do as well. Um, surely other people are struggling with that fear-based limiting voice inside their head. And so that's how I wrote that book. And same, similarly with comparisonitis, I was really struggling with comparison in a particular area of my life. Um, And I opened the whole book. I won't spoil it too much, but I open it with a story about how I was comparing myself to a New York Times, multiple New York Times bestselling author. And I'm I'm looking at her Instagram and she's just hit the list again for like the millionth time. Yeah. (laughs) And I watched myself spiral into this toxic comparisonitis really unhealthy and feel really crap about myself, even though I am a multiple best-selling author. And I felt really gross. And, you know, my husband said to me, what's wrong? And I just, I shared with him. And then I went and uh, did a meditation and I 
started to feel a bit better. And then I went back upstairs to my office and sat down at my laptop and I had an email in my inbox from a girl who follows me. And she was sharing with me just how much my work has inspired her and how she is writing her first book. And she said to me, I'm, I'm constantly comparing myself to you, Melissa, like you've written all of these best-selling books and my book is never going to be as good as yours. And I just had this light bulb moment. I thought, holy wow, yeah. here I am comparing myself to someone else. And then there's someone comparing themselves to me. And it's like this vicious cycle. We're all just comparing ourselves to everyone else. And I think social media and the online world has really highlighted the toxicity of it. And it needs to be spoken about now. I one of my closest girlfriends took her own life mm. uh, a couple of years ago and having that experience really shone light on this for me, on this toxic comparison and these mental health issues that so many people are struggling with. Like depression is just on the rise, anxiety on the rise, uh, panic attacks, suicide rates, they're all going up. They're not going down, unfortunately. And we need to look at this now because we need strategies for ourselves first and foremost. And then we need strategies to help our children because this, you know, our generation didn't grow up with mobile phones, smartphones, you know, glued to our hands, like the generations that are coming up now, you know, it's, they're, so they're getting mobile phones at like five years old or, you know, they, they're exposed to them from birth and, you know, from two years old, put an iPad in front of them to watch something, you know, they're exposed to this at such a young age. And we need these strategies that I give in the book. We need these ways that we can support ourselves and support our children and, and help them so that they don't grow up comparing themselves in a toxic way to anyone else. Because ultimately, we don't have to live with comparison. We absolutely don't. And there is health. There's a level of healthy comparison and there's a, then there's unhealthy toxic comparison. But what yeah. most of us are doing is living in that perpetual state of toxic, unhealthy comparison, which is what I talk about a lot in the book. And we need to remember, and this book is a remembering, this book is really about deep, radical self-love. Because mm. when you have deep, radical self-love, you are not going to compare yourself to anyone else. You won't even have the compulsion to compare yourself to anyone else. So it's really about going within and loving yourself unconditionally and remembering the truth of who you are, which is you are an absolute miracle. Like you are so unique and so beautiful and so divine. There is one in 400 trillion chances that you were born, that your parents got together and created you, like there, that is such a miracle. And when we truly remember that with every fiber of our being, with every cell in our body, we won't compare ourselves to other people. So yeah. it's really a, about remembering that. It's so important. And it, it's, I, I chalk this up with really, you know, any mental fitness practice as well. It's because if, if we let ourselves go on default, whether that is 
nutrition in what we're putting in our body, whether that is comparison or like, it doesn't matter what it is. Unfortunately, that the default in society, it, it, it's not necessarily going to drive us, you know, propel us forward. It's probably going to rock us down and we're going to be un more unhealthy and come out the other side with this, you know, uh, uh, a negative mindset of some sort. So I feel in order to combat against that or shift that, like we need those reminders all the time. And, and most people, um, I mean, myself included, I, I, I need them. And, and just like I, I imagine yourself, just, just with that example you shared um, with the book, but because we're all human, right? So it's, it's, it's just so important. 100%, 100%. It's daily reminders, you know, daily little things that we can do that then become habit. You know, it's, it's about reprogramming the neural pathways in your mind. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, think of a dirt track um, where my husband's parents live. You have to drive down this dirt track and there's indents where the tires go, you know, sure. and, and I, I, I drive down this road, this dirt road, and I'm reminded of the programming. You know, everyone's programmed for their tires to go in that, that those two lines. But if you want to reprogram, you got to, you got to, do something different, move to the side, create a different neural pathway and start to go down those tracks. And it's about reminding yourself regularly and creating a habit, creating healthier habits for yourself that are going to serve and support you, not drag you down and be detrimental to you. So how do you suggest, Melissa, people first become aware because I think that's a big one is just, I mean, I even notice this picking up my phone sometimes or how you just default into a social media app. And I catch myself I'm like, this is insane. Like, how did this even happen? You know, I don't even want to go into Instagram. But somehow I'm holding my phone. The app is open for no purpose. For, and I mean, we, there's so many different examples we can use. But how do, how do you suggest people build, I guess, the self-awareness to at least see that? and then course correct or deploy some of the strategies in your book. I think it's really important that you have highlighted the first step, which is awareness. You need to have awareness <laughs> because if you don't, you can't change it. So becoming aware that, okay, maybe my habits aren't ideal. They make me feel contracted. I don't feel good. I feel gross after them, you know, like become aware. I feel, um, almost like a sick, sick feeling in my stomach. So become aware of how it is that you feel, how it is you feel when you are, whether it's, you know, using social media or um, that's not necessarily the only place we compare ourselves to other people. Like you can compare oh, to sure. your friends, like to um, celebrities and movies, you know, like you walk down a street and there's billboards, like, there's constant opportunities to compare ourselves. So become aware of your triggers, like where you fall into comparisonitis and how it makes you feel. That's the first step is like, how does get really honest with yourself? Like, does this feel good? Do I feel good? Like comparing myself to this person? And usually the answer is no. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's about, 
helping and supporting yourself, putting in some strategies, which I talk about in the book, and then also some healthy boundaries and setting yourself up for success. Like it's like if you want to achieve a certain fitness goal, you know, what do you have to do? You have to lay out your workout gear the night before. You have to get a gym membership or a yoga membership. You have to have petrol in your car to get there. Like set yourself up for success. The same applies with, you know, healing your comparisonitis. Put some boundaries around the things that are causing you to compare, whether that is limits on your social media. So, certain amount of time per day or um, limit the time that you may spend with the people that you compare yourself to, or, you know, this isn't about spiritual bypassing. I'm not talking about that. I'm just, I'm talking about removing yourself from the trigger. Like it's like a wound, like say you have a scab, you know, and you keep picking that scab. Like that's what you're doing every time you ignore the app limit or you keep hanging out with that person when you're trying to heal that, you know, you keep picking that wound and we want to leave a little bit of space so that you can heal and create these new neural pathways and these new healthy habits that are going to inspire you and uplift you and allow you to be the best version of yourself. I love the language of, of, of healing around this topic. It's, it's just, it, I, I don't know how to explain it other than say that it, it lightens, I feel, the situation or makes it more approachable, you know, versus just seeing this as just this massive kind of debilitating scenario that, you know, we're all faced with. And it, it's, it's, as you mentioned, I mean, it's completely tragic in, in, in many cases, but I feel like when you shift the perspective to, I'm going to heal from this. And, and then put in a course of action to do that. It just, it opens up a different vibe to the whole process, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not saying that something's wrong with you. I think there are a lot of people that really struggle with the word healing. They think they're broken and you're not broken. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not broken. Like no, no one's broken. And it's more so awakening. You know, it's like all this personal development and transformational work is about awakening to your true potential, unlocking, you know? So if you are triggered by the word healing, you could use the word awakening. Sure. Sure. Well, I definitely want to get into some specific strategies, but I'd like to ground it with a more specific, I guess, example, because, and, and, I mean, obviously tell me if you don't want to go in, in massive detail, but you've, you've posted this obviously in your, your channel. So I'm assuming you're okay with that. And it's, it's just around fertility. And I, you know, I had to go through this with, um, with, through my wife personally for our, we have a four-year-old now, Caleb, who, you know, it, it took a good year for, for him to kind of come to fruition. Let's, let's say, and, and man, that, that whole experience, and I know you can relate, was just such a comparison situation. I felt it's like when people say, you know, they want to buy a new car and all of a sudden you start seeing, you know, that make and model all over the place. I felt, and I know my wife felt, that 
it's like every third woman she saw was pregnant. And, and, and the post I'm re- referencing, you, you posted something on December 1st and I'll just want, I just want to read it. People can take a look. And it was a photo of you obviously upset. You had, um, you know, uh, well, I'll read the caption. I took this very raw photo earlier this year after I had just bawled my eyes out after getting my period, my heart ached, I was exhausted and I felt so defeated. For those of you whose heart yearns to carry your child, I see you, I feel you, don't lose hope. Remember everything is unfolding as it's supposed to and there's a divine plan at play. Trust my darling and keep showing up. I mean, so such a beautiful message of, of hope. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Melissa, on, you know, for, because from what I've realized just going through this, there are so many more, there's so many more people going through fertility challenges than, than are actually speaking about it. So I'd love to just get your opinion specifically related to the, the topic of the book on how to stop with the comparison and hopefully help throughout this, this journey. Cause I mean, it just adds more stress to the scenario, which from what I see typically makes the whole situation even worse. Totally. It's like, you're stressed about the thing that you're trying not to yeah. be stressed about. It's, it's, it's like wild. this cycle. It's a vicious cycle for sure. And I share in the book, the story about my husband and I consciously calling in our spirit baby. And that whole process took 18 months from start when we first decided we didn't try every single month because he travels. And so he wasn't here every month, but we, the whole process was an 18 month journey and it was one of the most challenging times of my life. Mm-hmm. And I share in the book, a story about my best friend telling me she's pregnant and how I felt in that moment yeah. and how I bawled my eyes out. And it was just, you know, I felt like my heart had been ripped out of my chest. It was so painful that deep yearning to be a mother was just so alive within me and I was just so excited and so yeah there was a constant comparison and very similar to your wife I felt like every single person was getting pregnant around me and and then it it triggered my inner mean girl to really go off on a tangent of what's wrong with you why can't you get pregnant what you know is there something wrong with your body? Your body is failing you. All of these things. You can't do the one thing that you're designed to do, like all of these things. It was really unhealthy. And I was in a very, very dark place during that time. And it was incredibly challenging, really challenging. Uh, And then I realized during that time that I was suffering from a severe case of comparisonitis Mm -hmm. and that in fact, nothing was wrong with me and my body is perfectly healthy and capable. And I did the, all the blood tests and everything was perfect. Like nothing, nothing out of, uh, out of the ordinary. And same with my husband, we did all the blood tests, we did everything and everything was all good. Then that's when I realized that this was a spiritual assignment That's when I realized that my baby was like, mama, this is a spiritual upgrade and I need you to do it before I come in. Okay. And so I surrendered. 
I completely surrendered and I was like, hands up in the air. Okay. This is a spiritual assignment for me to learn how to surrender, let go of control and trust. And this was a big lesson in it. This was like my, my exam in it, you know, and I got to work on doing it. I really did. And it's almost instantly I had a healing session and I remember leaving. It was like a three-hour healing session. I was just crying and crying and crying. Um, all this stuff came up with uh, my parents and this lineage stuff. It was, it was amazing. I didn't even know it was there. And I remember coming home. I walked up the stairs and Nick looked at me and he's like, are you okay? And <laughs> I said, I feel like I've just been hit by a bus. Like I feel exhausted. And I went into the bedroom and I slept. And then I was journaling and things like that. And um, he said, do you want to talk about it? I was like, I can't even, I can't talk right now. I just need to go into the bed, bedroom and lay down. Yeah. And I knew in that moment that I had surrendered. Okay. And I literally, we fell pregnant almost the month, I think it was the month after that. So, you know, there was a lot of inner work that I did. There was a lot of surrendering and trust. And along with, you know, a lot of the strategies that I talk about in the book as well on how to heal that. But ultimately for me in that particular example with comparisonitis, I knew, I knew it was about surrendering and letting go of control and trusting and not comparing myself to all of my friends around me who were falling pregnant. Yeah. Of course. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate you going back there and, and sharing that. I You mentioned briefly just, uh, you know, about journaling after that that healing journey. And I've been, I've, I do uh, different variations of, of men's groups and whatnot. So I've seen some of those journeys play out and they, I can only attest to, to what you went through. They're, they seem exhausting. I've only participated. And even as the person kind of holding space and sharing an energy, I was exhausted after uh, helping someone through one of those experiences. But for people that, you know, may not have access to something like that, or familiar with it, I mean, I first of all, highly encourage you to, to take a look and, and do some research, but are there, you know, when it comes to the journaling, or I know you meditate quite a bit, like what, what were some of the, what are some of the daily practices or, or consistent practices for you that have, uh, that helped and continue to help in, in, um, you know, just keeping your self-awareness up and, and not, you know, falling victim to comparison? Mm. I talk about these in the book. I've got four, I call them headspace healers. Love it. And um, yes, like you said, journaling and meditation, even things like gratitude, having cultivating a, a regular gratitude practice. These are all imperative, like daily things that you need to do every single day. And, you know, they become so ingrained in your day, like brushing your teeth that you don't have to think about them eventually. So they're like... A given meditation, journaling, and gratitude. But the four headspace healers that I want to talk about, and I talk about them in the book, I dive deeper into them in the book um, because they're so important. The first one is live vibrationally. So, what I mean by that is everything in this world, everything that you currently see, everything that you you are touching, you know, the desk, the chair, whatever, it's all energy, right? And everything vibrates. Um, and so 
I aim, like my goal in life is to live and surround myself with high vibrational people, experiences, food, um, you know, things like that. So one of the ways that you can really heal your headspace and heal from comparisonitis is to make a commitment to live vibrationally, live high vibrationally. So go through every area of your life and make sure, okay, are the foods I'm eating of the highest vibration? Are the conversations I'm having of the highest vibration? Is the TV I'm watching high vibration? Are the podcasts I'm listening to high vibration? Are the experiences I'm having, the travel that I'm doing, the people I'm surrounding myself with, you know, all of those things, are they of the highest vibration? And if not, how can you change them? So what can you do to shift them? So that, you know, that for me is like really important. Um, You know, are you swearing? Are you surrounding yourself with people that swear? Like my, I have a younger brother and uh, I have to remind him of this because he's the only person in my life who swears. (laughs) And um, I can't unfollow him out of my life. Uh, I love him dearly. I love him dearly, but he does swear. And so I have to remind him, I'm like, Delling, please, you know, I, I can't have those words around me. I don't like, I don't like them. They're very low vibrational. And I just, I just don't like those words. And, you know, your niece is listening. So, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, yeah. And he's so amazing. He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, whoops. Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to. Um, and it's just, you know, a habit for him, but you know, things like that, um, So go through every area of your life. Are the books you're reading high vibrational? Are your phone habits high vibrational? So go through every area of your life and make sure that you're living vibrationally, living high vibe. I love that. That is like, yeah, that's the first one. They're just, I mean, again, we've, to me, it goes straight back to self-awareness because so many of those examples that you provided are just things that you can easily autopilot and not even realize you're doing it. Especially, I mean, we've talked about this on the on past episodes and it's included in your your profile and in my book as well, but just relationships, right? And how we default into relationships and put all these expectations on them. And, and then you just don't even think about those relationships. They just continue on and and then we're then we wonder why they blow up or they're, you know, not uh, serving the same purpose as before. So it's just being aware. Those are really, really great prompts. Mm-hmm. And then the next headspace healer is switching from the pie perspective to the candle consciousness. So let me explain what I mean by that. Um, so there is a lot of people either have like this pie perspective, you know, and so what I mean by that is say you have made the most delicious chocolate and orange pie and someone else wants a piece of that pie and you think, oh, but then there's not enough pie for me. Like there's Hmm. not enough to go around. Like, but I want all the pie. I want that pie. That's a lack mentality. That's a scarcity mentality. You know, there's not enough for me as opposed to, oh my gosh, yes, here, have some pie. There's still enough for me. So a lot of people are in that pie perspective Um, And we want to switch to candle consciousness. So what I mean by candle consciousness, and I explain, like I go deep into this in the book. Sure. But um, say you're in a dark room and you have a candle 
and someone comes in and their candle is not lit and you light their candle with your candle and then you've got more light in the room, more abundance, more love, more, um, yeah, light, light physically, yeah. but then also lightness. And uh, the, the more you light, the more people you help light their candle, their heart, the more there's going to be in the room and in the world. And so we want to switch from that lack high perspective mentality to this candle consciousness, which is like the more, the better, the more people I help, the better. So that's the second one. And then the third one is dialing up your self-worth. So I can tell, I talk about this in Mastering Your Mean Girl. I talk about the worthyometer, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are not at a 10 out of 10 on the worthyometer. Maybe they're like a five or a three sometimes. It's going to say if that, yeah. Yeah. And they slide down the scale. I can tell where someone is sitting on the worthyometer by the choices that they're making in their day-to-day life. I can tell by, and you know, of all the people I've coached in my last 10 years of working with people, by the food choices you make, I can tell what where you sit on the worthyometer. By the relationships that you surround yourself with, I can tell where you sit on the worthyometer. So it's every choice and every action you make is a reflection of how worthy you feel within yourself. Because someone who feels like 10 out of 10 on the worthyometer, they're loving life, they're living vibrationally, they've got that candle consciousness, their their worthiness is overflowing. They are going to make very different choices than someone who is a one on the worthyometer who is not living vibrationally, who has that pie perspective. So it's really important that you become aware and you work out, well, where am I sitting on the worthyometer? And and do whatever I've got to take to dial that back up. I have one of my girlfriends who has been single for quite a while. She recently started dating this guy and she was saying to me, oh, it's too good to be true. It's like, he's amazing. And I keep pinching myself. And I just said to her, sister, you need to dial up your worthyometer. Otherwise this is not going to work. So and true. she and she was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like just because of the language she was using, I keep pinching myself. And I said, no, you're worthy of this beautiful relationship. It's so true. You just need to own it. You need to embody it yourself. And if you keep saying that it's too good to be true, I'm like, guess what's going to happen? It's going to, you're going to manifest it being too good to be true. Yeah. And so we really do need to dial up our self-worth. And then the fourth headspace healer is casting aside your inner critic, which is, uh, you know, your inner critic is your inner mean girl. And I take you through my four-step cast process um, in the book to help you, yeah, cast aside that inner critic so that your true self can shine through. Well, that inner critic, I often refer to that that person as the... uh, the New York Times bestselling author in all of us. It's, it's, I'm always amazed at how fast and how quick or, or how um, believable we can create these narratives in, inside our minds, right? Like in an instant. 
and you know, not to say that the, the feelings are so true, but the facts are usually so far off from what we're saying and, and how we treat ourselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. These are great. I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, they're so, they're so powerful. I was thinking of the, uh, just the language we use. And I was, as you were saying that I was thinking of a, a past guest and who was also a friend of yours. Uh, cause I saw her, I was doing the research for my book and this came up again, Sarah Davidson. And, and she shared the example when she was first starting her business about how she used to present the idea to her friends as, okay, you know, I have this, this crap idea and it's this, this, and then, <laughs> and then she's finally caught herself. Well, wait a second, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hang on a minute here. And that's yeah. awareness, you know, that's self-awareness. And uh, there are a lot of people who don't have a very strong self-awareness and, and that can change. It's, it's, that's not inbuilt. Like the, your level of self-awareness is not something that is set in stone. The more you meditate, the more self-aware you become, the more intuitive you become. That's why meditation is so key. It's like strengthening your intuition and your awareness muscles. For sure. Yeah. It's why I speak about all of this as mental fitness, just to, you know, help propel the the perception is there's not even perception it's 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 what it is but just the training of our minds right so just like if you're training for a marathon you know you're not trying new techniques while you're out on the run you're relying on your training i mean and there's there's no difference when it comes to our minds so i um melissa i'd love to know because i want to respect your time and i'll I'll start wrapping up because I feel, I mean, we could go in so much detail, but uh, obviously you, you wrote the book for a reason. So I encourage everyone to dive in in more detail to get the, the, the real feel of, of all these principles and strategies and, and concepts. But one thing I, I did want to ask you about is just, you know, as we speak right now, you know, what's, what's a practice when it comes to mental fitness that you're trying or that you'd like to do a little bit more of or that you're seeing really awesome results with? Well, I meditate twice a day for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And I just love that. Mm -hmm. um, I've also incorporated some breath work and that has been really powerful. And so I guess I would love to do some more breath work. I'd love to yeah, just do a bit more of that each day. Um, I do a little bit, but yeah, I'd love to do some more of that because it's just so powerful. It's, it's like it, breath yeah. work is the new yoga. Yeah, you're totally vague on with that. I mean, I, I fall in the, or think the same thing on that one. And I think, I think what it is with breath work is that you, you can feel the benefits immediately, right? Where meditation, I mean, the science is there and, and for anyone that is a, you know, consistent, uh, has a consistent meditation practice, like, you know, the benefits are there, but to get started with it, it might not be as obvious as breath work, right? Where you, depending on what kind of breath work you're doing, obviously, but, um, I've been doing a lot of, you know, Wim Hof style breath holds and whatnot. And, and practice stacking the, like during the breath holds, looping in my visualization for the day. And I come out of there just feeling so energized and, and ready to go. Oh yeah. 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 It's are you, Melissa, are you do what kind of breath work are you focusing on right now? 
Well, I have um, a teacher who I do it with every two weeks. We do a session together and um, she's actually teaching me quite a few techniques to use during labor at the moment. So (laughs) it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So she's teaching me um, a few of those because she's, she's a breathwork teacher, but she's also uh, a birthing breathwork teacher as well. So So she's teaching me, like last week I learned this one they call the bumblebee breath. So I learned that and that's something that you'll use in a a particular point during your labor. Okay. Um, But before that, I mean, I've had Wim Hof on my show and Mm -hmm. I've done lots of his techniques, but also just yogic breath techniques. So like alternate nostril breathing, uh, block breathing, which is like maybe four in, hold, and then four out or um, extended breath. So four in, hold for two, six out or eight out, things like that I really love. And they're so easy to do and implement. So um, they're a couple of my favorites. But, yeah, you could definitely try some Wim Hof. Like he's incredible. Absolutely. Well, last question for you, Melissa. What makes you smile each day? Growing this beautiful human inside me at the moment definitely makes me smile. It just brings me so much joy. And I love talking to her. I love it when Nick talks to her. It's just the best. And I love rubbing my belly and daydreaming about what we're going to do together when she comes and daydreaming about the birth and daydreaming about what she looks like. Like I have no idea. It's and I'm amazing, just, right? She's just there. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'm like, I wish I had x-ray vision. I could see what's like, what she's doing. I'm like, what are you doing in there? Like, it's just so magical. And I think the female body is just a miracle. Like it really is. Oh my, I just nature like i'm not telling my body to grow fingernails and eyelashes for her it's just doing it it's so magic and so this is definitely making me smile right now and also uh seeing how everyone's responding to this book i'm just blown away i'm so many people have said how much it's helped them how much it's supported them and Uh, how it's needed now more than ever. So I'm just so grateful for that. And that's definitely putting a smile on my face. Well, I echo that. And I mean, she, she doesn't know it yet, or maybe she does, but you know, your, your new baby girl that is coming soon is so lucky, you know, so lucky to come into this world with uh, parents like you and Nick. I mean, having known you both for, for years now, uh, it's such a blessing so I am so excited for all of you and enjoy every second as you are. I can already tell and just mm-hmm. wishing you and the family and everyone around you just a magical experience. Thank you so much. And thank you for all of your love and support and for being you. You're a beautiful human. I'm so grateful. 